Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and a special episode today. We've got two co-hosts on, and Pat Gallagher and Andy Dolich, and our special guest in Steve Page, president of the Sonoma Raceway. And I have to at least start with a little bit of humor with, with having Pat and Andy as my co-hosts. And Steve, I, I hope we can take a page out of your book today. So uh, I, I know that's um, you know, probably one you've never, heard never. before a time or two, but, <laughs> but, 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 but Steve, you know, we're, we're really excited to have you on the podcast today to talk a little bit about your career, uh, the motorsports and NASCAR world. And I'll shut up and, and let Pat take it from here. Hey, Steve, let's, let's just talk a little bit at the start about your path. And then we can, you know, we can talk about about racing we're we're interested in we haven't had anybody on to talk about racing yet so but tell us a little bit about your path where did you start um i know you grew up in the monterey yep. area but how did you how did you get into um, this business i my uh, career has been a series of uh, fortunate accidents um <laughs> i was uh, uh you know as i as i finished up um college which as I like to say, it was the best eight years of my life. Um, I had, um, I had taken a, a couple of breaks. Um, and uh, one of which I had um, gone back very near the end of my um, time at Berkeley. I had a couple of quarters left, but I went back to Washington DC to uh, intern on the staff of newly elected Congressman Leon Panetta. And about, I I'd gone back there with the intent of spending three months answering uh, constituent mail, which is what interns do. And uh, about a month after I got there, uh, Leon's press secretary announced that he was going back to graduate school and the job was opened up. And I said, what the hell? I raised my hand and got hired for a job for which I was profoundly unqualified at the age of 22 to be dealing with the Washington press corps. But I ended up there for three years and managed to tough it out. And then uh, um, in 19, the end of the year in 79, I decided I really was so close to getting my college degree. I, uh, I had to go back and do it. And of course, along the way, because I was such a big baseball fan and I grew up as a Giants fan, um, my, I was uh, sending letters to Bob Lurie telling him that I was going to make all the difference if he brought me in as a new PR guy at the Giants. And I have still have at least one polite uh, decline letter saying that uh, we seem to be um, have all the staff that we need. Uh, so wow. I went back, um, finished up my degree, uh, was casting about and decided that in uh, June of 19, when interest rates were at 22 percent, was a great time to start a career as a real estate agent. Um, and so I did that for a while, supplemented it with bartending and, um, come November, I read, uh, saw that, um, the Haas family had bought the Oakland A's and, um, assumed that they would be putting a new team together and started making a consistent pest of myself. Um, as a, the result of which, um, one day in December, I came walking into the A's lobby where there was a big metal desk and a dial phone that said dial O for operator uh, would take you back to the switchboard with Sally plugging cords into a big green acres style switchboard. 
Um, and as I was standing there, a gentleman walked in the front door with a suitcase in one hand and a, a briefcase in the other. Uh, and he had just arrived to take the job as VP of uh, business operations. So I stuffed about every copy of my resume in his pocket because he didn't have a free hand that I could get rid of and started calling him on a daily basis. And within a couple of weeks was um, sent out to uh, go door to door and sell tickets in West Berkeley for $1 a contact and commission on whatever I could sell and um, managed to make a go of it. was one of the group that got hired full time and in um, January of 1981, had a great run with the Oakland A's for 11 years, um, did a little bit of everything. I had a, every, whatever job they handed me, they said, why don't you go have them do this instead? And um, had um, uh, 11 years in one of the great organizations in any industry, let alone sports, working for the Haas family, just um, something that... Um, I have life lessons that I still carry with me uh, in terms of just the way people operate as businesses in a community to be successful and also have a, um, a very positive footprint with the people that they work with. Um, so uh, as I was reaching, as I was, I got, I guess, into my 11th season and um, had really sort of done everything that I could figure out to do around there and realized everybody I worked for was probably not going away anytime soon. I was look, looking around and um, Andy got a call one day from a fellow who owned a racetrack up in Sonoma, uh, who was looking for someone to run it. And um, I had been interviewing around the country in places like Long Island and Cleveland and um, Arlington, Texas. I actually had to spend an hour interviewing with George Bush when he was a Texas Rangers owner. And, um, so I was going interviewing in a lot of places that I had no desire to live, but was um, very enamored with Sonoma. We had friends in Sonoma. Uh, Pat, you may remember John McKendy, who was a, a good of friend. Of course, yeah. We used to spend a lot of time, visit with them, and always thought, what a great place to live. It's a shame that there's no job in professional sports that would allow me to live here. So when the, uh, the racetrack job came up, I decided to take a leap of faith and uh, took the job, and uh, 29 years later, I've uh, managed to uh, wake up in Sonoma every morning and, and have loved almost every minute of it. So are baseball fans are baseball fans similar to racing fans? I mean, if you had to describe the difference between them, what would you say? Uh, well, it, it depends. And, and we have a, you know, really, we've had three or four of the major professional racing series that we've hosted and staged here over the years. And um, I think it, it varies from, um, there are, um, uh, IndyCar probably is the one where you have people that are more tangentially interested and involved um, and, and probably less passionate. You get a sort of event fans that are curious and like to come out and see fast cars and NASCAR fans tend to be sort of in the middle. They range from people who follow the sport passionately um, to folks who are just curious about a large gathering and the spectacle that, that it involves. Um, and then we have NHRA drag racing, which is where you have 
people who are just bedrock core fans who follow the sport uh, religiously. They know every driver. They love the smell of the nitro, the the sort of visceral feel of two 8,500 horsepower engines being fired up 50 feet from them. And um, I think that it's uh, it really varies from, from series to series. And, you know, we don't host the same thing at everything that we do. And then really beyond major events, which are a handful of weekends here a year, most of what goes on here are, are events where people are actually getting behind the wheel and driving themselves either as amateur racers or as corporate guests who are doing programs or students who are taking classes. Um, so the, the, sort of the fun thing about this place is uh, when we're up and running, every day is different and it's a whole, uh, I think the track is was scheduled in use about 340 days this year. And it's a, just a, a real three ring circus most days. Steve, you are a perfect example. I, I don't, of I, I don't want to hear somebody. This <laughs> no, um, the Giants didn't have the intelligence to hire you, but when A's management came in, they did. Um, you know, they were led by a series of very, very intelligent people hired you and, and had you banging on doors all through the East Bay. Um, but what I'm most interested in is two stories. One, how you overcame the red-bellied toad or oh, frog. Yeah. I could be mispronouncing it because people don't quite get Sonoma within the world of racing. And number two, um, the whole concept of cars, the multi-billion dollar franchise and a bit of the backstory on how all that came about. Sure. Well, um, when I first arrived here, the track was owned by a local real estate developer. Um, and it was the toughest part of taking this job is that this place was really rough. I mean, it was a, an old dairy barn, some modular buildings um, and uh, a, a grandstand that is not even up to high school football stadium standards. Um, virtually no infrastructure, dirt roads that were impassable in the wintertime. Um, and it was, I was promised at the time that there was going to be some major investment. But uh, as it turned out, the fellow who hired me, it was, it was very heavily leveraged in a lot of real estate that in the early nineties, as you may recall, a lot of that real estate lost its value. So we, we were barely making payroll here just to service the debt on all of his real estate investments. Um, at the time, however, NASCAR was really a juggernaut, um, was becoming a, going from being a regional sport to uh, um, really a national phenomenon, drawing huge TV ratings. And all of a sudden, the money and the TV rights started um, expanding exponentially. And as a result of which, two companies, one being the France family that owned NASCAR and the other being the Swiss, the Smith family based in North Carolina, formed up public companies and bought up nearly every track that was involved in uh, the top level of NASCAR. And we were one of them. We were purchased by the Smith family and we were given the job immediately of taking this rundown backwater road course 
uh, and turning it into a professional sports facility, which was um, an amazing uh, opportunity. We were essentially given a, a as close to an unlimited budget as you could imagine. Um, the company owned tracks in various places around the South. They were going in, spending tens of million dollars to upgrade the facilities and essentially being welcomed in open arm, with open arms by the communities they were in. Um, they didn't understand Northern California. Uh, they didn't under know anything about the California Environmental Quality Act, which is CEQA. And um, so my biggest job for the first four years of that ownership was explaining to them why we had to spend about $3 million and four years and two environmental impact reports and approximately 22 public hearings uh, before we finally got the approval to, um, to start breaking ground and on a two-year project that, um, that just transformed this place and turned it into a, a first-rate facility. So that was the, uh, the, the critter that you refer to. We, our, our EIR, we had to deal with traffic, noise, endangered species, which was the uh, red-legged frog, um, um, wetlands, earthquake faults, Indian burial grounds, uh, unstable soil, and a, um, a legacy in the community. This, this track had been owned over the years by a lot of different people, most of whom were not particularly good citizens. And um, so there was a, a reservoir of ill will in the community that, um, that we faced and had to deal with. Um, and going through this process, we also had a use permit that was a page and a half long that basically said you can do anything you want. And the county planning department who was facing all these community complaints was uh, absolutely determined to uh, bring this place under control. So at the end of those four years um, and about $3 million and two EIRs, we got the approvals to do this project, but we also ended up with a use permit that now has 65 pages of operating conditions that uh, pretty much control everything we do. Steve. And you found like one red-legged frog, um, is that right? Exactly. In all the exactly <laughs> one. <laughs> And that frog now has a 3,800-square-foot well, home in downtown in, in, Sonoma, I think. Um, <laughs> the raceway property that we owned when I came here is about 730 acres. Um, and we acquired about 900 acres to the west of us, which we got primarily to um, use for egress and parking. Um, when we discovered that on the main property that we were redeveloping, we had, um, they found red-legged frog habitat. You know, all you have to have is habitat. You don't even have to uh, establish that there are frogs there. Uh, but serendipitously, on that new property we acquired, we, we found that there was a thriving population that existed in ponds there of red-legged frogs. So it allowed, it actually um, ended up, being a big bonus because rather than having to go off to a mitigation bank and buy a whole bunch of property, we were able to um, few, join the two populations together. 
there is no other podcast in the country that speaks about sports that would get into the detail of red-legged frogs and the Sonoma Raceway. <laughs> you asked, and you asked the question. Jake, uh, yeah, no, no, I never, I, never. I, I totally, I totally you, get it. The, the time I spent in politics um, stood me very well because the um, the whole process of going through. Uh, getting our entitlements was as close to a political campaign. There were um, there was one very small but well-organized group that was put together by a retired um, uh, PR guy from McKesson Corporation who hated the racetrack. And um, they were very, very effective at making themselves look and sound like a wave of public sentiment. And um, they really set us on our heels until we got our act together and, and started developing a good information campaign in the community. Why are race, why are race fans so avid, especially NASCAR fans? What's that secret sauce that makes them totally into their sport Um, and the drivers? I I think that as it, as it evolved and it's less so today because car culture has changed. um, The, and it's not unlike baseball, but but I think even more so in motor racing, the people who are passionate fans of motor racing sort of come through this stewardship that's that's very much, uh, very often a father son, who you know they typically are guys that are car enthusiasts themselves, probably shade tree mechanics. They love the mechanical side of it, and then they love the personalities. They really you know there's such a colorful group of personalities that are associated with the sport that, you know, there's this tradition of people being introduced. And so I think it, it becomes very embedded in people's psyche as um, something that is um, both cultural and um, part of the, uh, part of a lifestyle that, um, that they've grown up with. And it's, um, and again, I, I just think that there is the great thing about racing is that every event has all the top stars in it. So when NASCAR comes to Sonoma, everybody that runs in the Daytona 500 is also here, as opposed to, you know, when the Yankees come to town, you get to see those guys, and that's the game you want to go see. Everybody is there, and the whole, the whole lineup is there. So um, I think the, the cultural aspects of it and the way people sort of get um, brought into the sport and, and did traditionally – um, and then just the the great collection of personalities. Um, one of the things that we're suffering from now is a lot of those iconic personalities have retired over the last 10 years. And um, the there's been a little bit of sanitization in the way that the, um, the guys are presented and the, the way that their behavior is modified by corporate sponsorship. So I think that... Um, uh, the the old days and the fist fights and the and the guys that were rough around the edges probably helped create the cultural following of this sport and I think that um, there's a certain amount of that 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 needs to be reinjected. Steve, as as you think about. You know, I, I love to hear some of the stories in which things come full circle and you wouldn't even know it. And when you talked about, the, you know, your experience in politics and, and understanding how that helped you, you know, get in the raceway on, you know, on the ground um, and, and built up. 
you know, as you think about your, you know, career and, and 29 years later in the community, um, you probably didn't think that was the case, but, you know, from a community perspective, I mean, what, what do you guys mean to the community and, and how do racetracks all over the country uh, signify the well, same I think thing to their community as, as yours levels. does in Sonoma? Um, and I think spending 11 years working for the Haas family um, instilled a philosophy about how a business should operate in the community that, that has always been really core to the way I view what we do and um, I think is something that I've worked very hard to instill in everybody else in this organization. Um, obviously, the, the, what we do has an economic impact, as any sports franchise does. Uh, we fill hotels, we fill restaurants. Um, you know, the the major events when they roll into town, it's very visible. Um, but what goes on here day in day out um, tends to be wealthy people playing with expensive toys. And the fact that we are in such high demand reflects the fact that most racetracks, the best line I've heard someone uh, say last year is that typically they build a racetrack where they wouldn't put a prison. And um, we have the advantage of being 12 miles from the Sonoma Plaza and one of the top destination attractions in the world. And so there's a, an awful lot of business that comes through here, which are auto enthusiasts who love to get on the track and drive. And then they and their wives or families get to um, spend the night in Sonoma hotels and eat in good restaurants and, um, and uh, visit wineries. And, and so that economic impact really spreads out over the course of the year. Um, but we also work very hard to take what we do um, and create value beyond that. And I, you know, one of the things that sports can do that other businesses can't is create a, a sense of mystique and um, an opportunity to interact with celebrities and to have sort of one of a kind experiences that, that we leverage throughout the year around our events and otherwise to, to raise money for um, our nonprofit, which is called Speedway Children's Charities. Um, it's a national organization affiliated with our company, but each track operates independently with its own chapter. And uh, over the course of the last 15 years, we've handed out um, over $6 million in grants to youth nonprofits in Sonoma County. And as part of that, we've not only given money out, a lot of us have developed relationships with a lot of those organizations that have us um, involved on a personal level. I'm, I'm actually either on the board or on the advisory board for six different nonprofits here. And it's some of the most rewarding work I do here. And lots of others on our staff are involved in similar ways. So I think that that, in terms of our community footprint, in terms of people seeing the raceway as an asset that, that creates larger value, um, we've, over 30 years, taken that um, that image that the track had when I got here and really turned it around in a very positive way. Steve, what, what does racing, what does racing need to do um, in the future to grow? And, and, and that may be one aspect of it. One of the, I mean, you know, you've got motorcycle racing, you've got IndyCar racing, you've got NASCAR, 
But what is what is a you know, what is a, an operation like yours need well, to I do to that, grow? Um, to sort of to maybe modify your question a little bit, I think that what racing needs to do, and probably lots of people in the live event business, um, is not so much grow as hold on to what we've got, and um, and find ways to keep it at that level and find other ways to leverage new income from audiences that we have. NASCAR in particular went through this, this um, series of chapters starting in the early nineties. I described it as it grew and these two companies bought these tracks and the events were all sold out. So they added seats and then those kept selling out. So everybody added seats and um, it was, we sort of approached it the way that the, um, the California government does during good times. They say that the line is going to keep going up at this trajectory forever. So let's just keep spending and growing. And the sport uh, built capacity way beyond where the demand was and lost the sense of every Sunday's a sellout. So you better get your tickets now. So I think that Part of what we have to do right now is to right-size the facilities and right-size expectations and look for ways to create new value opportunities and new revenue from existing customers. Because um, whether you're in NASCAR or you're in college football or you're in the concert business, I think the idea of growing crowds at live events is, is going to be more and more difficult to achieve the the at-home experience is so compelling um the beer doesn't cost twelve dollars when you go get it out of your refrigerator and the the sound systems and the tvs are also good and there's no parking and no traffic and we're competing with that experience right now which is i I think going to become increasingly difficult well, we are all at home these days in every sport. Nobody has a pandemic playbook. What, and you have multiple um, tires moving on your track um, from organizations. How are you thinking about bringing well, it back? To be perfectly honest, we're looking at 2020 from a spectator event standpoint as a lost season. Um, and I think that. Uh, you know, you're going to see, I mean, frankly, NASCAR is going to have the advantage right now because they're going to be starting off with a series of one-day events that are going to be nationally televised starting next week. And they're going to be the only show in town for a while. Um, we are probably not going to host anything with a large crowd this year. Um, whatever we do is going to be scaled way back. Um, I think that what we're focused on right now is looking at that day-to-day business, trying to develop protocols where we can um, get people on track in cars, do corporate events, do manufacturer events, which is probably our biggest, fastest growing source of revenue right now, um, and get systems in place that will allow us to start reintroducing that kind of activity. And I think that's going to be the focus. Um, even if we are able to get spectator events back on the schedule, I think there's going to be a psychological hangover that, that everybody is going to have to deal with. You know, if you, you've been sheltering at home and wearing a mask when you go grocery shopping for the last 60 days, 
if they all of a sudden ring the bell, you're not going out and sitting in a jammed grandstand next to somebody you don't know for a sporting event. And I think we just have to recognize that that's going to take a while to come back. Uh, and we have to temper our, our view of what we can do and what our expectations are and how we stage events to accommodate that reality. But um, again, in terms of large crowds and spectator events, I think that we're sort of writing off 2020 and focusing on the smaller um, high revenue activity that we can get back on the calendar and, and, and preserve and then begin developing a plan for 2021 and how we get back into the big crowd business. Steve, as, as you think about just NASCAR as a whole, and, and uh, it is, you know, it's a complex business. Uh, as Pat mentioned, there's a lot of different uh, entities that uh, compete at a lot of different tracks and uh, et cetera. The, the list goes on. But can you give a, a high level overview of how your track uh, exists in the eco world of motorsports and really how the process uh, happens in terms of bringing a race to your, uh, um, to your track as well, well as really the others? Well, it really from series to series. Uh, NASCAR was here when I got here. Um, it had, uh, the Cup Series had run here for three years prior to my arrival. And the reason it came here is that the only West Coast events that they had were at Riverside and at Ontario, those tracks both shut down. Uh, NASCAR was very intent on growing its national footprint and the Northern California market was of particular interest. So uh, they came here, started running in 89 to give themselves that footprint on the West Coast. And over the years, um, it has become a bigger and bigger part of what they do. Um, we don't draw the biggest crowd here uh, relative to some of the other tracks. But from a sponsorship standpoint, um, NASCAR and a lot of the race teams um, are able to bring people to the event and bring people into the market uh, to enjoy the lifestyle. There are companies in the Bay Area that they're able to draw in and, and create relationships with that they're not able to do elsewhere. Um, I remember um, Michael Andretti um, telling me that at at various points when we were on the bubble about whether we were going to continue running Indy cars, um, that our race was more important to them than the Indy 500 because they could actually get the CEOs of their sponsor companies to show up in Sonoma where they wouldn't show up at any other track, including Indianapolis. So that is an asset that, that we've always leveraged in terms of, a, of bringing events in and, and being a point of attraction. Um, but we're at a point right now where there are really two events in, in professional motorsports uh, that are in the front line where we still can generate enough revenue to make it successful. Um, that's the NASCAR and, and the NHRA. We tried for years to make a go of it with IndyCar and ultimately um, two years ago had to let that series go because it, we couldn't find a path to profitability. And, uh, when we, it, it was a great event. We used to, um, I think our staff loved it. We had 
um, great turnout from our corporate partners, but we have so much demand for the use of this track that um, we were turning away people who were willing to rent the track from us for six figures um, in order to put on an event where we were losing six figures. And um, I, in eight years in college, I was able to, to develop enough math to realize that that was not a, a good proposition. So, um, again, we, we have a pretty locked in relationship with NASCAR um, and with NHRA, and I, I see those continuing for some time. I don't see a lot else on the professional racing landscape that's going to be attractive to us or that presents uh, money-making opportunities. And so, as I mentioned, the corporate events, the manufacturer events, the, the things like the Ferrari Challenge where you've got uh, wealthy people that come in and bring their family and friends and, and um, race their cars all weekend uh, in a pay-to-play environment and go sit in a beautiful tent and drink espressos with a lot of beautiful women with Italian accents. Um, that's the kind of activity that's becoming more and more the, the core of our um, ongoing revenue stream. Pat, Andy, as we wrap up the episode, I mean, Steve, that's, that's fantastic. Great, great picture to paint. And uh, as we finish up the episode, any, any last yeah, uh, I, thoughts? Yeah, go ahead, I got I got to ask you, I got to ask you. So what's the greatest thrill you've had on uh, the track? Let's see. Um, I, I think the first week that I was here when um, the staff put me in, uh, put me in, in the Corvette that I had inherited as my company car and invited, um, me to take my first hot laps, which Pat, I think uh, Pat and Andy, I think you've both had an opportunity to do that. Um, yep. And um, it yeah. was, he, he took me for uh, probably a notch above the normal thrill ride. And then as they pull down into turn 11, which at the time sat right outside um, the lawn to our office, he did a couple of three sixties um, and um as I was catching this glimpse of a view out the window, I saw the entire staff out there pointing and laughing at me um, as I got my, uh, my initiation to, uh, to real track time. Um, yeah, I always think about that um, scene in, uh, in the yeah. Carol Shelby yeah, movie was... um, <laughs> where Ford is screaming his yeah, head off. Um, that was, <laughs> was like, that yeah, was, that was okay. What I, that's what I was going through. Um, i tell you what. It, it... And just in a, quick, in, a, yeah, in a quick mode, just give us the Mater and Cars story um, quickly because sure. people are I, not um, going to know. Uh, John Lasseter who lives in uh, Glen Ellen actually used to live in Sonoma right down the street from me. Um, he and I, um, our kids were in little league together. We got to be very good friends. And John was, has been a car guy forever. His father was a parts man manager in a Chevy dealership in LA when he grew up. And he, he was, he used to come to our race every year. We made him grand marshal one year and he was starting to develop this idea about, a movie with cars as characters. And I took him back to Charlotte Motor Speedway to um, see his first NASCAR race on an oval. And we spent the weekend together in the garage and around the facility, but also walking around the infield with all the characters in the RVs. And I introduced him to the 
self-described mayor of Redneck Hill, which was inside turn three at Charlotte Motor Speedway, a fellow named Mater, who uh, is, uh, said the name is pronounced Mater like Tom Mater without the tuh. And he's um, one of the great characters I've gotten to know. He's actually a contractor from up in Hickory, North Carolina. But he has a, a whole gang of people that, um, that are there at the races every year. John modeled the tow truck character after him and actually originally thought about having him voice the character, but uh, ended up having a, um, a, uh, uh, you know, a pro. We had Larry the Cable Guy voice, voice the character. But um, that was that trip with John to Charlotte really planted the seed for the Cars movie. So it, it was a um, fun to be there at the, uh, at the start and got my first movie credit ever, probably the last. That's a fantastic story. I mean, I don't, I don't know where else to Andy's point on any sports podcast, you're going to hear about the start of the movie cars. I mean, incredible. So Steve, I, I know I've really appreciated your time oh, and, and certainly learning a lot from you and, and taking a page out of your book, but uh, Pat, Andy, I mean, any last, last comment? Andy, your turn. I think I, I think I put him, I think I put him to sleep. Andy is gone. Sometimes he just Pat. sometimes he just drops off these things or nods off and stuff. I say, uh, you know, S Steve, is there anything? Is there anything that you're, you know, you you operate a track that your comment about, you know, racing is one thing, but you have a facility that all the major CEOs who sponsor want to come to. That's an advantage. Uh, I know it's also a challenge to getting people in and out of there. But is there anything in anything in, in racing or anything that you can do with that facility that you've thought about for years um, and still would like to do? Is that is there anything that's that's sort of um, out there that's, I think that, that, that can still happen? The what we're I mean, it's really what I've mentioned in terms of the growth of corporate activities that sort of have car activities at their core. But, um, you know, what what we can offer the corporate guests, the, the, um, the different kinds of outings is that, that thrill of being on a professional racetrack, but use the facilities that we have to host larger corporate gatherings. And so I think in terms of where we're headed going forward, uh, we took a look at the concert business and even tried to get our use permit changed a couple of years ago and realized that was not going to happen. And the, the time we would spend trying to get those entitlements would uh, probably not pay us pay off in the long term. So I think that that growth of the hands-on people having a um, personal involvement with um, the thrill of motor racing and the thrill of being on a racetrack is really where we see the growth and the stuff that we're going to be doing going forward. Steve, once again, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, certainly best Excellent. of luck through the rest of 2020 it. and hope to have you on again in the future. Thanks guys.